Hello, language hackers. Benny here, welcoming you to the latest episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to introduce another co-host who you'll be hearing from on these podcasts, and that is Elizabeth. Elizabeth has had her own episode earlier where you can get to know her a little better, but she has several roles here at Fluent in three months, including now helping me with this podcast at times. She is one of our main coaches at the Fluent in Three Months Challenge and the self-appointed VP of the Glitter Bomb Department at FI3M. Not many people can put that on their resume. As for this episode's guest, Elizabeth and I talked to Chris Broham, who's the founder of Actual Fluency and a seasoned podcaster and a friend of mine for Polyglot events. Some of the things we talk about in this episode are how Chris has taken his English to such a high level, his experience of moving to Hungary without knowing the language at all, Chris and my personal experiences of tackling depression, the important role speaking partners play, especially in these more isolated times, and how language learning can be a huge benefit to your mental health. We really hope you're enjoying this podcast, and if you are, you can let us know by leaving us a review. Tell us what's working for you at languagehacking.com slash review. We truly love hearing from you, and we read every single one. And now, on to our interview with Chris. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 40. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host today, Elizabeth. How are you doing, Elizabeth? I'm doing fine, Benny. How are you? I'm very good. And the two of us are going to be interviewing Chris. So Chris is a good friend of mine from the Polyglot community, and we've hung out several times. And um, I really want to share his story. He's uh, been into languages for a while. He runs his own podcast. And um, yeah, so Chris, can you tell us like, what is your language learning story? How did things get kicked off for you? And where are you from originally? <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to see new podcasts popping up in, in the language learning space. And uh, my language learning journey started when I was about, I would say about 10, 8, 10. We started having foreign languages in school in Denmark. And uh, that's where I'm from. So we had German lessons, sort of introductory German lessons. And I realized, A, I really like this. And B, I was picking up the sounds and the language really fast compared to my, my peers. Um, so when we started having English a few years later and uh, also uh, had French a few years later after that, I always, always enjoyed it. And now I sort of refound it. There was a big gap in the middle that maybe we can get back to uh, later on. But um, basically, I had a bit of a life crisis in my mid-teens. And I just lost my way completely with what I was interested in, had a kind of a depression period. And uh, so languages were lost for a long time until 2014, when I heard about this polyglot conference. And I was like, first of all, what's a polyglot? <laughs> you know, I'm sure a lot of people uh, had the same experience. Um, and I saw that there was about 100 people meeting up in, in Budapest, I thought it was. And I, I couldn't really make it in time for that one because I've only, I'd only just come across your website, Benny, and uh, read every article. And I thought, wow, uh, you know, traveling the world, learning the languages of the people living there and getting to interact on such a different level. That's what I want to do. This is, this is kind of my, my new goal. And, and so I wanted to go to these events and uh, I went to the first one in Berlin, the gathering, it was called. And um, it's still called the gathering, but it's in different places now. And 
as they say, the rest is history. I've uh, lived in Hungary since then, learned a bit of Hungarian. I've been working on my Russian for a couple of years. I've improved my Swedish and Norwegian. As a Dane, it's not too difficult, but you really need to work on it to, to understand it. And lately, I've moved to Portugal. So I started learning Portuguese as well. And uh, all the other languages, I've had a bit of French in school. And you know, I've studied a bit of Spanish, but not really a conversation or anything. So that's kind of a, the quick overview. So I don't know if any of those uh, topics you want to dive into. <laughs> so many questions. There, You had talked a while ago. Um, I'm a big fan of your podcast, Chris. And you had talked a while well, ago you. about um, in your childhood, you were walking home one day from school and you started thinking in English. Can you talk about that shift? Like what happened? I have no idea and I've never heard anyone talk about this. But yeah, the, the, what happened was uh, I, I, a lot of people have internal monologues. I think that's pretty normal. Um, so I was talk I was used to talking a lot to myself, but then when I started learning English, I really liked the language and I was probably the best in the class. And so in the beginning, I couldn't really speak. Obviously I wasn't good enough, but because of video games that they weren't available in Danish and a lot of the TV that I enjoyed to watch was with subtitles and you know, movies also had subtitles. I was slowly getting better and better. So when I was 11, I just, I don't know, just walking home one day and I was like, why don't I just do it in English instead? And ever since then, I've, I've done it in English, whether I'm in the shower or, you know, sitting in front of the computer, I'm always thinking to myself in English. My thoughts come out in, in English. Um, I, yeah, I haven't heard anyone else mention this, but uh, that's what happened. I, I think it was about 11, yeah, 11, 12, maybe. Wow. It's like Benny speak from day one, only it's think from day one. <laughs> it's a new, it's a new it's method. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and when when I first met you, if you hadn't told me that uh, you were from Denmark, I would have thought that you were a native English speaker. So, like uh, thinking in the language, uh, this is something I've I've tried intentionally myself, um, and it definitely helps me to stick into the flow where I'm not switching back and forth. But that alone has definitely not been enough to get me to the stage of being confused for a native speaker. <laughs> so, how have you gotten your English to this level? Right, it's a very common question I get. A lot. And I, th I think my English is, is, is getting worse, actually. The more languages I learn, the more I add, I seem to lose a little bit more of my, not the vocabulary necessarily, but just the natural, maybe more natural sounding uh, pronunciation, like the accent. So I, I, I really feel like a bit of the old, you know, the movie stars would have this kind of transatlantic accent that you couldn't quite make out if they're from the UK or from the US. And I have the same, you know, sometimes I'll say, uh, things like water and sometimes I just say water, you know, I just <laughs> do both. I guess it's sort of some kind of linguistic chameleon ability. Um, but yeah, the, the big thing I think was the necessity at the time I was, uh, let's say I was about eight, uh, six or eight. I got my first uh, computer, which uh, had video games on it. And in order to do those video games, you had to figure out what things meant. And there was no, you know, Google Translate, there was no way. I mean, I didn't have internet at home. You know, we, we had, when I got a little bit older, we got some kind of dial-up that would cost like a dollar a minute or something like that. So you could eventually go on and, and search for something. But so if you want to get better at a game, I mean, yeah, you could maybe buy the weekly uh, PC game or monthly PC game or magazine might have some tips in it. But that was also in English. So... I, I think that's really it. And, and the reason that 
I haven't been able to replicate that success, the speed or the accuracy of that success, is because it's just not a, a, nece- a necessity. And I can't fool my brain into thinking that all these resources to help us are available. You know, if, if I was in Portugal living here and we didn't have computers and translators and things, I'm sure my Portuguese would get good really fast. But the truth is that a lot of the world now speaks English, so it's easy to fall back on. And if you don't, then you can always just use your, your phone, you know, search Google Translate, look up the phrase, show it to the cashier, you know. Um, but as a kid, you know, all you want to do is win video games. <laughs> so, so that was, that was, that was it. And, and living in a small country, we get so much culture, uh, videos, movies, games from the US, uh, especially. And so when you're a kid, you just watch a lot of uh, English uh, language videos um, at the time on TV. So you just get a lot of immersion. Whereas today, I mean, there's so much choice for every language. And I get English speakers now saying to me how amazing Danish television is. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) it's come full circle. (laughs) Yeah, I I find that um, what you're talking about here is your why. In English, you found a really strong why. And that happened with me in, in German. Um, I was learning German to go to a trip to Austria before the big 2020 debacle. And once I was in the middle of a fluent instruments challenge, I completed it. I got to my 15 minute conversation, but in the midst of it, the trip had to be canceled. And it was like a, a giant balloon that just, you just let the air out of in terms of my motivation. Do you find that that's what happened when you, cause you talked about struggling in Hungary. You went to Hungary. You didn't know a stitch of the language. Yeah. What happened there? Did you not have a strong enough why? And why is it different now? Cause you said Portugal is a little better now. Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. And I think that I've made every mistake when it comes to language learning that you can. Uh, and for different reasons and at different times. But the Hungarian situation, what happened was, and I, I don't know about you, but I always hear, Oh, you just moved to the country. Everything will be so much easier. And I haven't found that at all. Uh, I don't know these people who can just move to a country and settle in on the first week and then be happy. I have, uh, you know, paperwork, bureaucracy, taxes, uh, making friends so you're not alone and <laughs> lonely, you know. Uh, so what happened in Hungary was, is a I was going for a little event put on by some of our mutual friends, Alex and Richard. And I was just supposed to be there for a week. And then I was supposed to take all my belongings and move to Germany. Uh, you see, I was already trying to live my, my Benny lifestyle at the time. Um, and when I was in, in Budapest, it was the most beautiful week of the summer. Everything was just, it was almost romantic how beautiful everything was. So I thought, why go to Berlin, which I know, you know, I've been there a few times. It's a nice place, good place to live, but not exciting. So I just stayed in Budapest. I just, ignored my ticket to to Berlin and just stayed there. So it was kind of out of the blue that I decided to do that. And that was the first mistake. I think when you move to a new country, especially language-wise, you really should have a, a, some kind of grasp of the fundamentals before you get there. Um, and I had nothing. And then you have the, the Hungarian kind of culture is a little bit closed, kind of similar to the Scandinavian ones. It's a little bit harder to make friends. Um, you have probably one of the hardest languages in Europe to learn, maybe, I don't know. I haven't tried to learn all of them, but certainly complicated. Um, and then you have, I was also trying to 
be a, a freelancer. I was working at a, at a social media company at the time, but I was also trying to build my own career and figure out what do I want to do in life? You know, I was a little bit behind because of my previous bad times, as I mentioned. So as a, what was I 27, maybe 28? So at that time, I was just confused and didn't know what I wanted to do. And all those things are just a terrible recipe for success in in languages, but also just in social life in general. So that wasn't enough of a a reason, as you mentioned before, like the why just because I could see this isn't going to last long term. Like it's going to be a short trip. I'm going to go home at some point within the next 12 months or so. And so and I, I know I knew I wouldn't need it again in the future. I'd, I'd never met a Hungarian person in my life before going to Hungary, you know. So the idea that it would somehow be useful when not living in the country had already kind of entered my brain. And I was like, okay, so so you, you factor in the time, six months to settle in maybe, maybe longer sometimes. Then, you know, the last six months, you already know you're leaving, so you don't have any motivation either. So if you're there for, I would say for 18 months, I really only had about six months of, let's say, motivated time. Um, and then still you have to deal with all the other problems. Uh, bureaucracy is really difficult there. And I went to the biggest local government office in in Budapest and the receptionist didn't speak English. I'm like, you know, <laughs> no offense about that, but you're serving the community. You know, th- there's a lot of English speakers or other language speakers in the in the city. And that's just an illustration of the kind of d- challenges you're going to meet on a daily basis. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my big Hungarian uh, mistake. But I learned a lot from it. So, you know, I appreciate the experience and I, I would say I had an overall good time. It's just that my language skills definitely were not. Uh, Great. <laughs> but it was an adventure you wouldn't erase, right? It's not like Absolutely. if you had to do it again, you now you are you have more profound uh, information for the next time, which is now in Portugal, things you've done things differently. Yeah, so I was actually quite fearful of moving to Portugal because of that incident. I was worried that I was going to repeat history again and, and go through the same thing. But as you say, that that experience has really helped me to understand what I did wrong the first time. And actually, it's funny, this uh, trip to Portugal wasn't planned either. So I didn't have time to uh, prepare the language. But luckily, Portuguese is a little bit simpler and has a lot more vocabulary that I'm familiar with. Um, so I'm just seeing quick growth. I'm already kind of making a little bit of small talk in the shops. And um, so I'm very confident that within a year, I'll be able to have quite good conversations and and, and speak at a, a decent, I don't know what level, but maybe upper beginner or something like that, intermediate. Um, I'm just in a completely different space. You know, that's, that makes the difference. Definitely. So I want to uh, return to what we had touched on before, that um, it's the challenge that I've gone through myself. It's one a lot of people, um, I'm sure, in the, the last year or so are dealing with, and that's depression. And I definitely know from experience that it completely sucks all of your energy and even if for me language learning was absolutely central to my life and then for several years it wasn't because depression is just a black hole that sucks all that away so what's your story with depression and how have you worked through like you are obviously it's not a problem that you solve but how have you uh, found a balance in your life with it it's it's a very good question and <clears throat> something i love to talk about because i think there isn't enough talk about it out there. Um, I think the human mind has its own ebbs and flows. And I think everyone has mood switches or changes and 
the people we call seriously depressed who need, let's say, doctor's interventions and things like that, they obviously are quite a lot lower on that graph. Um, so my goal is always to manage those swings uh, as, as best as I can, because it happens even now. Uh, you know, uh, things are a million times better than 2016 when I was in Hungary. But, you know, these lockdowns and these things, you know, last year I was sitting in, uh, I was living in the UK and they announced the lockdown, shut down my co-working space. I was confined to my little uh, studio apartment. I didn't have a desk or a chair or anything. I just sat on a nightstand with a pillow on it. And that, that just hits you after a while. It's like, oh, this really sucks. And you can't see anyone because everything is obviously isolated, quarantine, lockdown. The police were asking you what you were doing when you went out the door. And so that that's a recent, a recent episode where things got worse. But because of my previous experience, I was able to kind of cope with it anyway. But I would say my my level was was lower at those days for sure. Um, so it started all the way back in probably about when I in seventh grade, I would say. My parents got divorced and it was a big surprise for me. And um, within, I guess, within three years of that happening, there was about four or five family tragedies in the same space. My room burned down in a, in a fire and left me kind of paranoid about any kind of smell or light or anything. Couldn't sleep for years and things like that. And then I lost my father unexpectedly, which was a, a huge blow. And then I was kind of like a zombie for about 10 years. And um, looking back, I wish that somebody had kind of take, taken me to the side and said, you're just a kid. You don't know anything. Go to the go to the shrink or the psychologist or whatever, like get some help. Like you, I know you want to be, you know, strong for the family and you want to do the best, what's best for you. But honestly, man, you're, you're 16 or 15, whatever I was, you don't know anything. And that was true. And because I was so, I guess, I don't know if it was stubborn or like teenage naivete or something, but at the time I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. No problem. No problem. I'll deal with this. And, you know, I don't want to talk to some old guy about my feelings. That does nothing, you know. Uh, so the next 10 years or so, I really spent discovering this topic from the inside uh, in quite a lot of details. I, I read quite a few books. Uh, if people are interested, I, I recommend Lost Connections. I think it's one of the best books ever written and might even be, I think everyone should read it at some point. Uh, but just learning about the whole thing myself and suddenly developing a respect for uh, things like therapy, uh, cognitive therapy. And I started to have therapy sessions and I started to explore my own kind of emotional baggage, started to learn how to you know, be more emotional. You know, that's a, a weird thing to say for me, but it totally makes sense that if you're the zombie that can't feel anything, then you, yeah, you might not feel sorrow and grief and pain but you can't feel any excitement or happiness or joy either. So I was just the same all the time. Um, but yeah, so in late, in the last few years, I've, I've just understood myself better. I've like I've done the therapy and I've worked on it. And, and now I just catch myself whenever I feel down. And I think a lot of time depression is a, is a mindset you instill in yourself and, and you decide a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of other factors that go into it. But for instance, in Lost Connections, I think he names about 10 different things that is a cause of, of depression. Things like disconnecting from nature, disconnecting from people, disconnecting from meaningful work. And if you, if you take that list and, and put it into your own life and say, hey, how many of these have I actually got going for me? And if you have none of them, 
then okay, maybe I can work a little bit on those and, and progress a little bit every day to improvement. And that's what I did. And I, I, I don't want to call myself depressed. Like you, you never hear me say that. You, you might hear me say things like I had some depressive periods or I had some, I was feeling, uh, I had some uh, downswings or upswings. Uh, but I think as soon as you put the label on yourself, it's very hard to get out of it again. This might be the most important topic we can talk about right now. And I'll make sure that we put in the show notes the book name because um, we also have all been touched by depress depressive periods. And it is important how you reframe it. Language is so powerful. So for me, um, now in my 40s, when I feel a dip, I call it a mind cold. Oh, I got a little mind cold. I need to, you know, my medication right now is taking walks even if it's just 30 minutes, just, just getting those endorphins. Um, and I found that, uh, I had a sustained illness where I was unable to, uh, I was bedridden for a while and also, um, homebound for uh, months later. And I, I found this amazing secret that having some sort of connection to the outside world, just as you were saying, because I was too sick to walk at that time, having some sort of connection and some sort of something to feed my brain. The brain is, you know, it's hungry. And if we don't feed it, it starves and it be eventually becomes apathetic or, or it's a muscle that's, that doesn't get worked. And so I found that language learning, believe it or not, kind of buoyed me. I had been learning French before I got sick and then I got sick. And my husband always jokes, he's like, I've never seen anyone have a sustained illness for three years and come out speaking another language. And I have you, Chris, and you, Benny, and other polyglots and multilinguals to, to help me because now with technology, I mean, what's happening? Everyone's got a sustained illness right now. We can't get out to nature. We, our work has, um, you know, been affected. Our personal lives have been affected. In California, you're not allowed to meet with other people in, in a different household. Do you know how limiting that is for senior citizens or teens that can't go, you know, they can't go see their friends? It is crazy. So how, and this question actually is for both you and Benny, how have you used language learning to help cope with those mind colds, with those depressive periods? How has that given you more connection to the outside world when you were so in that black hole, as Benny said, that you couldn't get out? I'll let you go first, Chris, because I'm, I'm curious to hear how language learning became a part of this story. Yeah. And uh, this is one of my, uh, this might even be the title of my book, you know, um, Depression and Language Learning, because I think that language learning is a wonderful pursuit of it's an intellectual process that gives you tangible results that naturally counter the effects of depression. Because if you want to get good at a language, what do you have to do? You have to talk to people. And that's one of the problems that depressed people face is that they're isolated and lonely and don't have connections. So I talked about this in my Langfest uh, presentation back in 2016, which is on YouTube uh, and, and on the website, I think. Um, and I, my theory, it's almost like a thesis, I guess, is that because of that, just learning languages, even if you don't really have a, a specific kind of, you know, country or place, it's, it's a really good activity for you. And that's what I did. But I would say I combined it a little bit with the podcast as well. So because I knew I was probably going to give up on learning languages uh, if I didn't have accountability, I started the podcast to kind of keep me accountable, even if it was just a few people listening in the beginning. I knew that they knew about my learning in a way. Uh, so I am sure that that kept me somewhat sane back in the 
in the 2015, 2016, when I, I was, I was at uni as well. I kind of left that bit out. I didn't really finish it. So it's not really that interesting, but that was also a tough time because when you're at a university doing a degree, you don't really, I mean, I was doing a language degree. So it's somewhat interesting, but the things you do with language degrees in Denmark is usually just to teach other teachers. So I didn't connect with that at all. And, and so I, I had a rough time there. But because I was just connecting, I set this goal of I'll learn languages as a part of my life. I always had something to do. I always had something to look forward to. Always had something to talk to people about. I went to the conferences as well. Um, you know, the gathering was once a year. We had uh, the conference as well, the Polygon conference. And that was like meeting your, I don't know what, I don't know how you would describe it, but I would say something like your, it's almost like, you met old friends every once in a while and you reconnected and you talked about interesting things that you both liked. And so for me, that was the perfect antidote, you know, get also see more of the world, get to know more people. Um, and of course the learning itself. So I think it's, it's perfect. It's, it's, it definitely makes a big difference. And like you said, the sense of community and connecting with old and new friends, it changes everything for me personally, the, the situation was that language learning is so central to my life and it has been for a long time. And I never went through any, any serious down periods for like, I was lucky that I didn't for the first three decades of my life, you know, of challenges, of course, but not, nothing as major as depression. And to go through it, I, the mistake I made was to maintain the same, the same kind of objectives. And I know from uh, when I was learning languages at my peak in my 20s, as I was blogging about it, that it I would take on very, very big challenges and I would know failure was an option. And I'm always OK with that. I'm still OK with that. But the energy levels and the motivation levels I had um, at that time were very, very different. So the amount of failures when I would try it in my lower periods was much, much greater. And when you go, uh, when you're in good spirits, I can, and, and like nowadays I can take uh, a fail in my stride, you know, I can make a mistake in the language and I can be like, oh, well, that's part of the process. But when you're feeling really down, it's, it's a very, very different concept, a failure or making a mistake. It just adds to, I'm, I'm a useless human being. I'm a waste of space. It adds to all of these negative things that you just keep telling yourself. So. For the first while, as I was trying to get back into language learning, it was a struggle because I was trying to use it with the same level I had before. I was trying to replicate the kind of pro uh, progress and all of the goals and all the things I would like to do. And it was very difficult that I did have to accept I need to change these criteria until I know I have this energy back. And I wanted to do things like make, making videos in other languages. And I get great satisfaction out of that, but I had to accept I need to take a step back from that and just get a focus on the smaller wins and definitely getting spoken practice has been one of the things that has been a big, big savior for me during quarantine is just consistent human practice. And, and also, even when I'm using it in a language I'm weak at, I can honestly like express myself in ways that, uh, like, even if I say, uh, I'm, I'm not having a good week and I'm really bored at home. Even saying simple, simple things like that, you're not able to express your deepest, darkest emotions, 
but just trying to get little things off your chest. And then in an age of isolation, we can kind of feel like, well, you know, I don't want to like call up a friend and tell them I'm having a bad day. And that, that like is obviously a very dangerous place to be in, to feel like you're a burden to other people. But for me personally, just the fact, just this little fact that I'm paying this teacher to have to deal with my language (laughs) mistakes means like I may as well tell them, you know, I had a terrible weekend. I didn't get anything done. And I I wish I had studied that thing you, you assigned me, but I just didn't feel the motivation to. And like, it's weird, but just that level of raw honesty coming out, even in languages I'm weak at has been very beneficial because of course, because I'm telling this to an actual human, they're going to turn things around and they're going to give me some really encouraging words. And they're like, I'm going to say, I've made no progress. My whatever language is terrible. And they're going to say, no, no. Since like we talked last, you fixed this problem that you were making last time. And, and I've noticed uh, uh, your increase in your vocabulary since we started talking. And they would, they would be able to spin it in a positive light. And I think in isolation, especially in down periods, it is very easy to be stuck in your own head, your own echo chamber of everything is terrible. And you will see everything that comes into your life. You'll see every interaction as reason to be um, hopeless. And other people are very good at that. And even when I'm down and I talk to other people, I still try to uh, turn things around for them. I'm I'm never going to say, yeah, you're right. You are useless. You know, <laughs> I, that's, 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 that's not a way people no, no. tend to interact. I'm going to give them encouragement. So even when I'm talking to other people who themselves are struggling, we tend to support one another. And that even through another language has been great. And, and now this year, because I set myself more achievable goals, I've been able to make progress to the stage where now I feel I can finally get back into making language videos again. And it, it is frustrating because I want to be there like overnight. I want to be there very, very fast. And especially me, I am famous for my three-month projects, but I've had to accept that uh, in this uh, struggling period in my life that maybe I need to focus on other parts of it, but it can still bring me joy, it can still bring me positive things to my life. So um, I absolutely agree with you. It can be a, a huge benefit to people who are going through tough times. Yeah, I would say it's dangerous as well. Uh, just um, a little caveat, of course, uh, going back to what I said earlier, if you are feeling like something isn't quite right, the first step I would always say is, is, is get help. And that's such a cliche way to do it. But you know, look up, maybe some of your friends have had similar experiences. Maybe they can point you in ways that they improved, or maybe you have a really good friend that you can talk to in, in sort of confidence a little bit deeper. Um, I'm not so sure about the whole going to the doctor. I think for some people, it's probably essential, but it is, again, something you have to be conscious of. Uh, there's also something the book we mentioned uh, deals with. Uh, but again, if, you have, if you're struggling really hard and you've lost your job or you, like me, had you know lo- actual grief, loss of uh, members of family, which is very likely these days with, with corona, um, then you know don't try and, and, and do a 23 months uh, project right off the get-go, you know, tr- work up to that and, and and use, I would say, if you can use apps or, or courses that have some kind of a counter, you know, so, you know, like Duolingo or Memorize, they all have, say, oh, you've done lesson two out of eight or today you've done 500 points because then every day you, you're getting more points and it gives you like encouragement in a very easy to do way. 
And I think that just helps a lot with feeling like you're progressing uh, in, in the rest of your life too, even if it's just a small part of it. Yeah, Duolingo was actually, I loved that that little thing. It would make that little ding at the end. And my yeah, husband exactly. would walk by every five minutes and be like, you won. And I'm like, yes, I did, <laughs> laying in bed in my PJs. So I just want to circle back to what, the because there's a few key things that you both mentioned that I'd like, I'm sure people are like taking notes. At least I would have been if I were in my teens wanting to learn language. Uh, one is accountability. Like if you're dealing with depression, first of all, do get help. Cognitive therapy is amazing. Read books, find, you know, explore what, what your options are. Um, but accountability in terms of if I have an iTalkie lesson, I have to get out of bed that day or I have to turn on my computer in bed and let my iTalkie teacher see me with a double chin and a little bit of drool. <laughs> but it's still accountability. You're still showing up. Another thing that both of you talked about was wins create like these little tiny wins. And Benny, you really mentioned something very important, which is lower your expectations. When you're having a bad period, you're, you're exhausted, something just happened, lower your expectations so that you can have some wins. Maybe it's the Duolingo little song that, you know, somebody can walk by and say you win, but have those little tiny wins because in depressive states, there's a lot of, you, you really get colored, your lens gets colored and there's this feeling of, I'm never, I'm always a failure. Everything's wrong. No, actually, I did five minutes of Duolingo today. Yeah, the counter goes up, The you move up on the leaderboard, you know, there's a lot of good things happening, yeah. Yes, or you had, you know, five words and this today you have six words, you know, and then flexibility, which I think both of you are really good at. I'm not so good at flexibility, but this idea of like letting go of perfectionism, I see people in the challenges that the things they say to themselves, like they give us the day 30 video and they know a hundred more words and they, they give me a paragraph of what they don't like about what they said. Now, I don't know about you two, but I would never write a paragraph like that about someone else. So you always want to switch it back. And then for me, all of these things work, but also language learning can be a bubble outside of pain. You can let it be your escape. You don't just have to binge on movies in um, in English. You can binge on them in your target language. And you can have that little bit of connection, but that bubble. I actually don't talk about the things that are difficult when I'm... My teachers didn't know I was ill, nor, neither did my language exchange partners, because I just wanted a place where I didn't have to explain it. How do you guys... How do you guys feel about that recap? Was there anything I missed in terms of dealing with depression and language learning? Well, I guess one one thing I would like to add, and I realize that I especially may bring this extra problem to the table that um, as a polyglot, a lot of people would tend to compare themselves to, you know, my fluent in three months projects. And like that, that can be, uh, that can be very damaging. I obviously, my goal in life is to encourage as many people as possible. But I understand at the same time, a lot of people can look at somebody who, from their point of view, has these con consistent string of successes and they look at themselves and they see a string of failures and they feel even more miserable as a result. And I really want to emphasize to people that, yes, I've definitely had successes in, in many aspects, but I've also had a huge amount of failures in my life, especially lately. And it's okay. And it's okay that I'm at a stage where I'm not having these very high objectives and I can return to those having given myself time to recover. And that's why these small wins are so important. It can feel like, you know, does this really make any difference? Like I want to be able to like pass the C2 exam in no time. And, and, and I'm 
feeling a win out of a little Duolingo uh, chime? And I would say absolutely, because this is what you need. It is definitely better than nothing and it builds up. And one of the things that I've been taking a lot, um, a lot more of a benefit from lately is a consistent, gradual pro- progress. And that's generally uh, something different to what I do during my intensive periods. But there's absolutely something you get from that. And it can feel like on a day to day basis, you're not making any progress. But do not compare yourself to other people, because if you look at my Instagram, you will not see a lot of posts over these last few years. But if you look at things when things are going great, I have a post every day about how great things are, you know. And of course, I'm trying to balance that out and I'm trying to share my struggles with people. But it's human nature that we want to share our wins. So especially in these digital times and in these isolated times, you look at other people and you see they are all doing amazingly. But ever since I've opened up about the depression I went through when I shared that on my YouTube channel, I've gotten so many DMs from people I was not expecting. People who told me that they've gone through similar struggles or that they know somebody who's gone through similar struggles. They appreciate me sharing this. And it's really shown me that any concept I could have of comparing myself to somebody else is is absolutely warped because I am never going to see the whole story. I'm only seeing what they decide to share with me. And I really want people to take that out of this, that if you compare yourself to somebody else, you are seeing a very filtered view of that person. For all you know, they're going through just as hard or rougher times than you are. And it's very important to to keep that in mind. And uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Chris. I would say in all of life, comparing yourself to others is, is very cancerous to your own mental well-being because, like you say, social media gives a warm picture to begin with, but also we are all different, you know? You know, Elizabeth is better at organizing. Uh, I'm more chaotic. Um, so if I, if I compare myself to her, I, I could feel bad about, oh, I, I don't have anything in order. But... Sometimes the creativity comes from chaos and sometimes it allows me to be more flexible and, you know, make, let's say, more things around the, the things that I enjoy. It's not so stringent in a way. So I would just say if you can avoid it for all purposes, just avoid comparing yourself. And I have, I'm always up in the air about social media, you know, every day I'm like, should I just go off all of it? Or then one day I'm like, yeah, but I can kind of control it. I don't, I'm not really an avid user or anything, but. I still think it's probably a net negative for me. Um, so I've deleted my Twitter recently, as an example, uh, because Twitter's just gotten cancerous anyway. But for for your own mental well-being, I just feel like it's it. Don't compare yourself to others, and and it's a silly thing that I did for my Russian initially was I said I didn't set like a target goal or anything. I just said I'm going to learn Russian. There's no end date. There's no pressure. I'm just going to get to it one day, and I. And I've done it for six years now. And I think the biggest risk to people who are learning language maybe for the first time or maybe trying it out is that they set very excited goals like for three months. And then when they're not nowhere near fluent, when they reach the, the goal, they just lose all interest and burn out and never touch it again. So I would just say, allow yourself to just be on the path of learning and just say, no matter if it takes two, 10 or 20 years, <laughs> I'm going to learn Spanish or Russian like me or whatever, because that then it was never in my head to quit. I took long breaks, of course, but I always came back to it. I was, okay, how's my Russian doing? Let's book a lesson. Let's go and memorize. Let's check YouTube. And every time I did it, it was funny. 
the breaks made my language skills better. I don't know if it's the brain crystallizing uh, the information or some kind of magic that happens, uh, but I always found that after a long break, my lessons were always better and I could understand more of native speakers. Yeah, and I've definitely found the same. I've, I feel like after taking these years to recover and to have like much, much lower objectives, it's been easier to recharge my batteries. And I don't think the world is a dichotomy that you, you can either learn slowly or fast. I think that, like you said, Chris, uh, you know, where our mental st- status goes through ebbs and flows. And I've accepted that I am in recharging my batteries mode and I'm very eagerly going to get back into my intensive three month projects. But I also have to recognize that right now is not a time for that because I'm trying to get my energy levels up to where I could do something like that. So if somebody is is kind of questioning that, I would always say like, where you know, if you feel like you could generally, like you're in a good place in your life, you have the energy, um, you know, you, you've put money aside and you don't have this giant struggle, then now maybe is a good time for an intensive project. But otherwise, try to work on yourself and try to get yourself to a safer place. And then maybe it would be more achievable. But in the meantime, there's something great to be taken from consistent long-term progress. I'm really honored that both of you would share your stories about depression and depressive periods um, with the audience. It takes a lot of courage and there is strength and vulnerability. If there's one thing that we can walk away with here is there's strength and vulnerability. We're all human. We all have that connection. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from Chris is the best method to use is the one that is the most fun and the most efficient. So if you're not a flashcards person like me, flashcards won't be efficient, but if you love flashcards, you give up. Exactly. And it's the same with your goals, right? (laughs) Whatever's the most fun and efficient, bring fun back into language learning. So thank you both for, for sharing, you know, such intimate details. No problem. I think it's going to help a lot of people. That's the hope. So um, before we wrap up, I want to make sure that I ask Chris a couple of uh, final questions. So Chris, in general, we'd like to ask people on this podcast uh, what their understanding of language hacking is. So maybe with a theme overlapping what we've covered today, how do you understand language hacking? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I'll try to be, I'll try to summarize. I think language hacking is a take on language learning where you learn the most efficient parts of the language so you can quickly use something, which is completely opposite to the old school learning where you learn a lot of things before you can even say a f- your first sentence. So you're kind of hacking the whole, kind of turning it on its head. It's a little bit like the, you remember the food pyramid? You know, we used to have, like eat a lot of bread that's good for you and not a lot of meat. And today it's like, well, oops, it should have probably been upside down. And I think language learning is exactly the same. Uh, schools have just never really caught on to that. And finally, um, I want to make sure uh, we find out, like, what are your upcoming projects? You mentioned maybe you're working on a book and um, otherwise, (laughs) how can people find you? And we'll make sure everything that you mentioned, will have links to it in the show notes. All right. That's great. Yeah. Book. I mean, I think everyone listening probably has a book in them and they're probably like me standing in the shower thinking about how it would look on the bookshelf. You know, I I know Benny, you've done it, so you know the feeling, but uh, I think there are a lot of topics in, in, in my experiences and in language learning that I could come up with, but no firm plans. I haven't written a word yet. But uh, if people come to Actual Fluency, uh, there's a podcast there. They can come and listen to episodes similar to this. You know, I also interview people who uh, have interesting stories, who have traveled the world, learned 30 languages and 
and that's the main hub of all all that's going on excellent stuff so thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it and um i hope people found this interesting and uh, like elizabeth was saying before if anyone is suffering from depression please seek out help i personally got help from a doctor and you know i i did not love some parts of it but i'm glad that i did it got me to a better place talk if you can't do that talk to somebody who you can confide in do not go through this alone you would be surprised how many people would be able to understand what you're going through and be able to help you with that. And we'll put a number in the show notes for, for getting help if you need it, like a hotline. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and put my email address in there as well. If people want to just email me about any uh, any thoughts or feelings, I'm happy to read it. And I'll do my best to answer every email, of course. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming along, Chris. And um, we'll share all the links so people can check out you and the actual Fluency Podcast, of course. And uh, until the next one, very happy language learning. Happy language learning. So that was a great chat with Chris. And uh, as always, we're going to wrap up with just some thoughts and some takeaways. So... Uh, Elizabeth, what was your takeaway from this uh, chat with Chris, do you think? Aside from the beauty of connection, I loved how he talked about creating small wins during difficult times and that that can build your language learning into something that's sustainable. Yeah, and uh, it really does make a difference. And I can speak from experience from that. And uh, something else that he said that I really um, I really want to make sure I take away from is uh, he kind of alluded to this book. I'll definitely check it out. And he said that um, there are certain different aspects that if you can fill these buckets, then you would actually uh, be able to feel better about yourself in different ways. And I didn't really think about it like that uh, previously, that obviously you have your friends and your social interactions. And I know that that's a big problem for people at the moment. But you also have your sense of achievement bucket and your go out to nature bucket. And I'm sure there's other ones. And when I think back on the last year that, yes, I have definitely been lacking in uh, social interactions, but I'm still in a better place than I was a few years ago. And it's because I've had that sense of achievement bucket getting filled. And because I know whenever I do, I don't do it as often as I should. And maybe I should whenever I go out to nature and I just go for a walk in, in a forest or anything like that and get out of the house. I know that's harder for some people, depending on where they live at the moment. But uh, whenever I just tried to expose myself to nature, I didn't really think about it this way, but I am filling up one of these buckets and I come back invigorated. So obviously there are so many ways to deal with these uh, big, heavy aspects of life. And uh, as we said before, talking about it with somebody can be very beneficial. But other than that, if you can interact with people, then that is one way you should take advantage of it. And even though I personally don't interact with people uh, face-to-face very often at all these days, I do have very frequent calls with my teachers, with my family, and I try to interact that way. But these other buckets, like the sense of achievement bucket, I've been getting that more and more, and it has definitely lifted my spirits. So that's definitely given me something to think about, that there are other ways to recharge your batteries and get to a better place. Absolutely. And you can language learn in nature. You can bring a podcast, you can bring flashcards, you can sit on a, a stone and your cortisol levels decrease. So there's lots of research about that. And we'll leave that in the show notes as well. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, like we said, you can check out the show notes. And otherwise, 
if you enjoyed these podcasts, then uh, we really appreciate you if you leave a review. Just go to languagehacking.com slash review or go into your podcast um, provider of choice and leave a review there. So until the next one, uh, we really hope you enjoyed this and we'll see you soon. So until then, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.